Hey everyone, welcome to Happy Vibes, a podcast that will make you smile. We chat weekly over wines to amazing women who empower, enrich, inspire and create. Come along with us and enjoy the Happy Vibes. Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to another episode of Happy Vibes. I am so lucky to be bringing you today the gorgeous, in green, Sally Hepworth. Welcome. Thank you. It's so great to be here. This episode of Happy Vibes was brought to you by, actually, nobody today, but the caffeine was delivered by Hampton Street Bakery. Now, Sally, I've actually known you for a little while. Do you remember when I first met you? I don't know. Tell me. Your first book, what was it? Like, what, six years ago, five years ago? That's right. The Secrets of Midwives, I came to your book, book club. club. Yeah. Right. Was it through Jane Harris, I think? It was. So we had this gorgeous book club. I'd actually just had my little girls, my twin girls at no, the time. No, you were pregnant. Was I pregnant? Yes, I remember oh, it now. Because that's right. Because I, I didn't really understand the whole buzz about midwives. Yeah. And I was probably the only person in the room who didn't have kids. And there was a huge, rich discussion Tell us about your first book and that experience. Yeah, that's I, I had completely forgotten that we had <laughs> done that. And I remember you now being very pregnant. The Secrets of Midwives was my first book, which I wrote through my second pregnancy. And the right. reason I did is because I had read all the books the first time about what to expect when you're expecting yeah. and you know what to do when the baby comes out. And I just became really interested in the process of birth and, and babies and so this time I started reading fiction about birth and there was the show called The Midwife which was on the ABC, ABC yeah. for a while which were books before it was a TV series yeah. uh, and I just thought I really wanted to read a book about midwifery that showcased the the different generations of midwifery alongside each other like today back in the 70s and then the 1950s kind of midwifery that we saw in Call the Midwife. Yeah. So that book really, I wrote through my second pregnancy. I had so much help because I had my midwives and my obstetrician there to help me write it. And that book then was actually the second book that I had published ah, okay. in in the world, but the first book that was published in English because <laughs> What do you mean? Very strangely. And I'm the only author that I've ever heard this happen to. My first book, which was the first book I ever wrote while pregnant with my first child, was published, picked up and published in German. So I don't wow. write in German. I don't speak a word of German. Was that a strategy? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it was. So the way that happened is that I wrote that book. My agent, I, I found an agent through that yeah. book and he submitted it to New York Publishers and didn't get anything picked up. And it was set in the south of France and in London and so he said why don't we send it to the London book fair and see if we get any takers and really strangely it was picked up well I think there was actually two or three offers from German publishers wow the Germans loved it and so no one in Australia wanted it in the first instance so you tried it here yes wow and and look to be honest that was the first book that I ever wrote it wasn't very good I'm actually (laughs) actually Really? I'd love to go back and reread it no. now going through the kind of midwife MCHN nurse experience. Okay, I won't. <laughs> I'm actually really grateful because a lot of people say that and I think I'm so glad it's only available in German because now <laughs> no one can read it. And and not just because in a lot of ways it was my kind of training book and the yeah. book that kind of made me realise I loved writing and learning how to do it, 
But also since then, I've changed my style of writing. Mm. I've started to write. I'm much more interested in women's issues, a bit of suspense, a the little bit. The thrilling of- aspect of your latest novels, I just absolutely adore and i love kind of bringing us to your current novel which i think are you still on a book tour for the good sister have you finished it i'm on a virtual book tour which is nowhere near as exciting as a uh, regular book tour so you're not flying off to new york or paris COVID everyone just in case you didn't realize still in a pandemic (laughs) sadly not And, and other ways it's good too because i am a real homebody in general and so staying home is not the worst and the other side of it is that even though I'm not getting to travel, you get to reach a lot of people through this yeah. wide world of Zoom and and some of the events that I've done, which, you know, a really good event normally would have 100, 150 people. And now some of the events, you know, are getting 2,000 people watching it and things like that, which oh, is Because I guess great. it's direct to your fans too. So That's I imagine fun. when you're on a book tour, you get to your fans eventually, but there's a few stops. You've got your publishers, you've got the media, and then it gets delivered. But you mm-hmm. have such an amazing presence on your social media through, we all feel connected to your tour, which I don't think would have happened had we not been in a pandemic. Yeah, well, that has been a really nice side of it. And, mm. and it does mean, yeah, exactly, you're reaching the people who want to see it. And I suppose the upside of doing in-person events and that are run through bookstores and things mm. is that you are reaching perhaps book lovers who don't know you okay. um, or haven't read your book. And um, and so that's an upside. But same way, that probably happens too through social media and through um, internet virtual events yeah. because people somehow end up and they're not sure how yeah, they, they see what someone else is looking at and so yeah. on and so forth and the genesis of this book i was really interested to listen to a recent recent ish podcast you did with lady startups with the beautiful mia friedman and i think this book wasn't actually intended for 2020 there was some other kind of book on the horizon and you had some huge highlights and lowlights like tell us about that juxtaposition of you know highs and lows yeah so Usually, for the last, since The Secrets of Midwives came out, I've put out a book a year, and they have come out in February, January, February kind of time. And so the last book I had out before The Good Sister was The Mother-in-Law, and then it's almost been two years now because it's the end of 2020. And so I was due to have a book published earlier this year, and I did write that book. So some people have said, oh, um, you're just slowing down a little bit, and in fact, no, (laughs) I wrote a book. And if you want the whole story, you can listen to that podcast with me, Friedman. <laughs> but the short story is that I had an idea for a book about a swingers party. Yeah. And it wasn't erotic fiction. A lot of people go, oh, oh really? So, Fifty Shades <laughs> of Grey. Um, and in fact, it was similar to my other books. It was about family. It was about marriage. It was about sex in marriage. And I had these three couples who meet at a swingers party and something goes terribly wrong. And so, of course in order to write that book, I was picturing the being on the publicity trail and people asking me, so how do you know about swinging? And I thought, well, I can't just say that I wrote about it. You know, I read about it and that I researched. I need to go. But I don't think we're talking about swinging on swings either, guys. No. We're talking about the kind of... Or swing dancing, <laughs> which is the other one. It's the third type of swinging. <laughs> and in fact, in the, in the, uh, in the, the lifestyle, they call it the lifestyle. Uh, they call it um, consensual non-monogamy because I'm an expert now. <laughs> and um, so I said to my husband... I love this. Who is very conservative, God love him. We need to go to a swingers party. And he was, you know, very uncertain, but I did some good research. I found this party, which was actually run by this very exclusive woman 
who actually went to school with Kate Middleton. She's this British society woman and she started running these parties in, you know, the Cotswolds and, you know, in beautiful old English manor homes where couples would go and they'd pay a lot of money to be there and they were very exclusive and they were a little bit eyes wide shut kind of sex parties. And there's one in Australia. So they they (laughs) (laughs) they now happen all over the world and they come to Australia about four times a year and there was one in... Oh, so they, they travel around. Yes, and they're never twice in the same location. So it's a really interesting kind of exclusive... So in order to... You don't need to be invited. You actually can kind of call up and, right. and you have to submit your details. And each party has different requirements. The one we went to, you had to be under 40. So we just snuffed, you know, scraped it. Yeah, well... <laughs> Not anymore. Um, This was a couple of years ago. And you had to be, uh, I suppose, attractive enough. Like you had to submit photos and make sure that you met those requirements. You had to submit a clean STD test. Oh, wow. And you had to pay the money, which I think was something like $1,000 a ticket. Wow. And you, you got in. And they didn't send you where to go until 24 hours before. So we knew it was in Sydney, but we didn't get the actual location until... This sounds so intriguing. I know, right? <laughs> it's so interesting. And Someone I... should write a book about it. <laughs> well, <laughs> funny you say that, Julie. So, so we went to this party and look, mm. there was, it was such a, an eye-opening party. And I don't think of myself as being prudish until I walked into this party wow. and I started to go... I think the fact that the mere fact that your research involved you going to a party like this, I would say not prude, big capital, yeah. not prude. You know, I went with an open mind. Yeah. And the thing about it was if you were into swinging, this would be the party to go to. The people were gorgeous. I oh. thought that, you know, the people would all have no teeth and, you know, you get this Sleeves. after you've seen Herman Rockefeller and some mm. of those kind of seedy things. This one, the people were beautiful. You know, they, it, it, there were a lot of rules around. What was the fashion like? Well, you started off wearing, uh, you know, like a cocktail. I said to Christian, well, I I ended up wearing the same thing, but a lot of people did not. Actually, that's not true. So it was in winter in Sydney. So it was coldish. It wasn't Melbourne winter, but I wore a little black dress and I wore tights and boots. And at first that didn't seem so strange, but people started taking off their clothes. And by about, I don't know, an hour into it, a lot of people were either naked or, uh, and I mean completely nude, wow. or they were wearing some kind of gorgeous lingerie. And at that point, I thought, I don't want us to kind of stand out. And so I took off my tights and I put okay. them in my hand. <laughs> okay, but we kept the dress on. The dress stayed on. Okay. Everything else stayed on, but I just wanted to blend a little and bit. And your husband's at this party with you. Uh-huh. And he was propositioned. He was propositioned. Christian, Christian. the accountant. Yeah, I've heard. He, yeah, and that, that's a really good description of him because it's really every every sense of the word he's an accountant. Um, he was propositioned, poor sweet thing, just freaked out and didn't know what to do. By a man or a woman? By a woman. So this party had a lot of rules. The only right. women were allowed to approach men. Okay. Only So men couldn't approach women. If you wanted to approach someone to proposition them, you had to touch their right shoulder and look meaningfully into their eyes. That almost feels like it's like a Chris Lilly. Did you ever watch High School High? Pat Mullins, the roller. She had these signals when she wanted water or sometimes. No, anyway, we digress. Your story's far more interesting. from that. (laughs) (laughs) So, and and then then they walk off. And if, if the person chooses not to 
accept that yes. proposal you can't approach them again so it was funny observing that and as someone who doesn't intend to go back to a swingers party unless you know i'm writing another book about it i thought there's lots of good things one is that consent thing i mean think about how when we were in bars when we were young back in the days when men used to approach me which it's been a while you know they didn't leave you alone. No, they were, you said no, you were a rude bitch. You were, yes, and they mm. might, um, you know, swear at you or... You snob. Yeah. Such a snob. I'm like, I actually just want to talk to my girlfriend, but... Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And interestingly, Christian ended up speaking to a lot of women and at the bar where he just stood right. drinking the whole night. And that was the feedback when he said, what are you doing here? He said, you know, there were a lot of... He, there was one um, woman who was a surgeon and another who was a barrister and they said, we don't get a lot of time... And when we go out, we don't want to be harassed. We want to kind of have sex in a place that's safe. There was security there. STD free. STD free. (laughs) It actually makes a lot of sense. Like they've basically created a non-hostile environment for consensual sex. Exactly. And women don't have to. No. I, I like these rules. And if there was, and I saw this happen twice over the course of the night, God, we could talk about this all night. I know, I know. We will get back um, on track, but we need to hear the end but of this. But this is good, so this we can good. talk about yeah. this. Um, where, so the other thing they told us at the beginning with how to proposition someone, and also we were told that if every sexual encounter from a kiss to a touch to a sexual had to be separately consented. And so, oh wow! So just because you say yes once, correct. Oh. And also because there were a lot of orgies, orgies. <laughs> that happened mm-hmm. where a number of people were involved. So, so you, does everyone have to say yes? I suppose. Yes, and you could hear it a little bit. Like right. not that I was super up close, but if there was a lot of things, you would hear women or men saying, "Can I touch you here?" Yes. Like it was kind of very discreet and whatnot. But twice I heard a woman say that was not consensual. And almost immediately, a, and, and it was run by women, so there right. were all these women who were the security. There was one man so who was some outside, supervising, okay. yes, who roamed around, and they were black. They, they wore black, and you could tell who they were. Um, immediately, they came in and they removed the person and took them out. And oh wow! So with one strike, you're out. It's yeah. not like sorry, I didn't mean it. No, and um, there's a real sense of this is their rules. These people take the lifestyle very seriously. This is how they live, yeah. and. You know, even though it was a woman that was throwing them out, you got the sense that everyone there would have backed her up. And right, so it was quite. Is there an anonymity kind of piece around it too? Like, do people like to be anonymous, or are people very open about who they are and why they're there? That's a great question. I don't remember anyone even asking my name, right. and I had a lot of conversations with people, yeah. and I didn't ask their name. And I didn't think about it. Um, that said, I know that there were a number of people because when you sign up to the party you get you can become part of a a network or like a where they can all arrange to meet before or after or you know meeting like-minded people and so they were able for some of them knew each other yeah um but certainly yeah there wasn't and you wouldn't get any details so this sounds like it would make an absolutely fascinating book so i take it you put pen to paper and you had a winner on your hands look i had an idea for how that book Mm -hmm. would look and you know I really do still see some merit to that book, but there's no doubt that I didn't get it right. And so as I wrote it, and this has happened before, each book that I've written has never, I've never sent it off to my publisher thinking they're going to love this. This is amazing. So do you write to, towards perfection or do you, where's your kind of gauge? Yeah. That's also a great question. I will write my first draft is very loose and messy. I use a, um, 
a kind of comparison of getting a getting dinosaur bones out of the ground like if you imagine an art um not an archaeologist. What are the um, ones that get them out? That's an archaeologist. Oh, yeah, it is an archaeologist. Yeah, yeah. yeah great. Well, I'm pretty sure that's a bone digger. That's the one. <laughs> so um, they get the dinosaur bones out of the ground and they're all dirty and messy and they don't uh-huh. resemble, you know, the ones that you see in a museum. And that's kind of like getting your first draft down on paper. It's ugly, it's gnarly, it's messy. Yeah. Not everything's in the right place, but you've kind of got the bones out. And then you get out your tools, you know, and you polish it and you put it together and you okay. make sure that it shines. And that's how I do it. Yeah. Um, but I've heard from other authors who say, no, I get out the tail of the dinosaur and I polish that. And when that's right, I then move on. Move on. But one way or another, whatever your process is, you need to get the bones out and you need to assemble them. And to almost ready. To almost ready. And for okay. me, I get them out in a really ugly sense. And I just, it takes me lots of drafts. To so get you'd them say out. the Swingers book, it never got polished. Never got polished. It got and look, there were parts of it that I really liked. Like I think it was that the, the dinosaur bones were out and like half of it was uh-huh. assembled and shiny and the other half was kind of a lump of mud and and maybe missing a few bones. And so how did you take this feedback? Like you know, you've got a number of books, I think you're up to your sixth, mm-hmm. seventh, perhaps mm-hmm. probably writing one now. So I imagine um you're used to a lot of feedback. You have to be as an yeah. author. So how did this feedback get delivered to you and like how did it make you feel? Oh, God, it was a low time. So I actually, it, it came in, in different stages. So mm-hmm. it wasn't just one phone call. When I sent it off, I said, look, I know that it's not right. I, I think it was the ending that was giving me trouble or the setup. I actually can't remember now. I've blocked it out because yeah. I'm traumatized. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first edit, the first um, feedback I got was, oh, Sally, I don't think this is working. I think we need to try a slower introduction I think we need to try something or other and so I went away and started working on that but I didn't feel like that was right either yeah but I did what was asked because I knew it wasn't working and then I kind of got it to a state that I could send it I sent it back and at this point as it happened I was on a cruise from (laughs) Melbourne to Sydney I hate cruises. I was going to say, you don't look like a cruiser. You don't quite fit into the demo. I'm not a cruiser. And this... Maybe a swinger, but not a cruiser. (laughs) I'd I'd swing over cruise, I tell you. My husband has always wanted to go on a cruise. And I have not... Like, what woman wants to go on a cruise? None. Who Even ever wants to be stuck with anyone without a clear escape plan? Oh. Like you always need a couple of doors. I'm a Carrie Bradshaw, yeah. but give me my two doors. Exactly. <laughs> I was almost off that boat into a dinghy. So, and and so I agreed to do a three day cruise from Melbourne to Sydney, and it was one of those ones. It was the big boat that goes to Alaska, but they you could go on it just for three days to beautiful. get a taster. Uh-huh. And no, it wasn't beautiful. No, it was horrendous. It was a boat. Yeah, it was a boat, and it was a big ugly boat, and um. So I'm on the boat and I get terrible, um, you know, seasickness and I was in this little room. A bit of claustrophobia. Yes. And I also got an inner room because I was scared to have the, the, um, my kids would fall off the edge. So I asked instead of having a view. So my room had no windows. And then I got the email saying, I don't think this is working. Heartbreaking. And... I think it would be great if you wrote another book. And so I'm in this tiny little room on this boat and it was just, and I remember thinking, this is one, this is the low point of my life. And when someone says, I think you better write another book, for those of you listening who don't know, books don't just happen in a month. So Sally's process, as we heard earlier, it's a year of planning and writing. Mm -hmm. So it's not just like write another book. It's like, 
shit. It was a huge, <laughs> yeah, it was a huge shit. A, emotionally, because mm-hmm. I had, you know, obviously invested and did believe in that book and hadn't had a book rejected before that they had already, you know, commissioned me to write. Mm-hmm. Um, financially, it was a huge blow because I am the primary breadwinner in our household. Christian still earns a good rage, but yeah. I carry the, the, you know, we've made all of our financial decisions at our house, all of those things mm-hmm. based on my salary. It's not something that we can kind of withstand just losing that. And of course, I've already written the book. I've paid my nanny, you know, a full-time wage and all of those things. So as it happened, and and so I remember saying to Christian, are we going to lose the house? You know, and and are we it's got like a little to... shiver because it's like it's not just like the emotions that have gone into the book you have some real kind of financial worries yeah. that you suddenly need to face it was and you know writing is similar to anyone i suppose that has a, a business in that sense that it is a business and that you do invest in things mm-hmm. and if things don't work out well then you can lose a lot of money mm-hmm. um so luckily the mother-in-law had come out around that time because mm-hmm. I'm a year ahead with my books and it was my most successful book to date and it was optioned for a TV series and it sold a lot of copies and that was kind of what um, allowed us to weather that storm and not mm-hmm. lose the house and, you know, to, to carry on financially. From an emotional side of things, my confidence was really totally. broken and, and kind of still is in the sense that I then went and wrote The Good Sister and since then, I have written another one, which I've just submitted to to my editor. And the night before I got feedback on this one, I have feedback. She's accepted the book. It's all okay. <laughs> Phew. I, um, she gets to keep the house this year. This year? It's a year. It's a year-to-year well, year thing. Proposition, yeah, seriously. But the night before, and I was waiting, I took a Valium uh, yeah. because I just, you know... Well, once you've had that kind of, I guess, you know, we'll call it adversity because everyone's got their own, I guess, you know, system of what affects them or what could bring them down. But once you felt that real low, mm. you do have a sense that it could happen again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And what the ramifications of it are, even though we did, you know... Yeah. And how do you manage the highs and lows? Because you speak about, Sally, that you're on your book tour for The Mother-in-Law, which we all know was hugely successful. Um, and it has been optioned for a, um, a TV show. But you're dealing with, as you put it, part of the kind of the lowest moment in your career or perhaps even life, but then you're having to be, you know, Miss Happy Sally and you're dealing with all this down below. How did you marry those emotions together? Yeah, that's a great question too, because it really was the two, the, the best and the worst were kind of mm-hmm. happening at once. And I suppose 99% of the time, I'm just me living my life, doing the things that I'm doing. And that time, yes, I was over in the States. I did, went on Good Morning America. I met with Amy Poehler. They were little, glorious, wonderful moments in amongst me just living my life. They, they are the little moments. Those, so you could enjoy them? Yes, and I right. did. Yeah. I, I did enjoy them. And I still look back at them and think... You know, they would have happened. Pinch yeah, me moment. <laughs> yeah, especially now when we can't travel anywhere, and the idea of going to New York for three days sounds oh. pretty nice. Oh, that was one of the trips that was cancelled this year. Will oh. we ever get to go again? Please say yes. Come on, but back I, just, I love that because I think there's so many listeners, um, so many of our listeners out there, um, who this year I think have had to face a lot of adversity. That yeah. you know, from my own perspective, it just like hit me in the face. Like I could never in a million years have a imagined a pandemic, mm. b how it would have affected me personally. Because I feel like I'm a very resilient, upbeat person, yeah. and this has thrown me around. So hearing a story about how someone can kind of still be happy yet 
face adversity is a wonderful one and I just think our listeners would love to know kind of how you got through it like what was what were some key kind of nuggets that helped you kind of move into the next phase yeah look the thing about writing books which is probably similar to a lot of Mm. careers but I can only think about it in books is that I write a book a year and each book has new potential Mm -hmm. and so the failure of that book was devastating as for all of the reasons that I said but there's always the next book and the, the cyclical way that that works works really well for me I'm a Gemini I don't know if that means anything to anyone but I'm a classic Gemini Mm -hmm. I love the new thing I love looking forward whatever's ahead is kind of where my my heart and soul is and that's what makes it interesting when I'm promoting a book because I've usually written that book a year ago and my heart is in this other book that I'm writing now which is coming out next year and so I'll be talking about one book but I'm I kind of don't remember that book because I'm yeah, I love that. And and so I guess the takeaway is that you look forward and, and you, you know, mm. I'm not one really to look back yeah. for long, you know, not to say that you just pretend things don't happen. You have to feel things and you have to feel the, yeah. the, um, the weight of them. And as I said, it still affects me now, the fear yeah. of that happening again. But every book is... Uh, it's hopeful, you yeah. know, that that could be the one and that could be hugely successful. So just focusing on the work you know, I love that message do. like you know own, own your problems never minimize kind of anything because if it's important to you it's important to you and your family yeah. but try and deal with it in the moment and so then you can just look forward and yeah. like I think some people and myself included you can reflect on things go over things and it can actually just distract you from being your best self yeah so a couple of things I've noticed through this conversation is Christian your husband so we've talked about how he is supportive so supportive that he goes to swingers parties um you've spoken about how you in essence are a breadwinner despite him having no doubt a great career i'd love to talk about that kind of gender i was going to say imbalance it's not an imbalance but it's almost like a gender switch and how have you guys managed that in your relationship is that has that happened organically or how's what's the yes role relationship it has happened organically and yet it, it really lends itself well to our personalities. So, mm-hmm. and to give Christian credit where it's due, he was the financial breadwinner for the first few years of our yeah. relationship. And, you know, when we got together, he was earning a lot more money than I was. And um, I was at home with the kids when they were really little. Yeah. And it wasn't until the secrets of midwives and the success has kind of built since then to an extent. And, um, that we've slowly changed roles. Sure. And he's always wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. You know, he's yeah. such a wonderful dad. He's a really uh, – and always has been because we've always both worked at least part-time for me. Yeah. It's never – we've never fallen into those roles where I've always done the cooking and the cleaning or those kind of things. Yeah. We've always shared it. And the more we've started to prioritise my career, the more he's picked up the slack Awesome. On those things. And the goal is that, yeah, he will eventually become the lead parent and stay at home with them. Oh, fabulous. I love hearing these stories around how different family units manage their situations. And I don't think anything, nothing's right or wrong. And not, I'm not saying for one second that, you know, having a female breadwinner is the way to go or mm. having a male breadwinner and you perhaps not having a career is a negative thing either. But isn't it just wonderful how you can have all these different dynamics and it can work for your family? I love that. Yeah, and it's got to fit everyone's personality mm. as well. Like some people, I have a friend who is a very successful business person, but she just wants to stay at home with her kids and yep. that suits her and that suits her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, I my strengths are more with, I love to work. I always mm-hmm. have. I love writing books. And if I can lean in and make money out of that, 
How wonderful. And Christian then gets to step up and be the better parent, which he is. He's so much more patient. <laughs> and he looks bloody good in high vis. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he's the centre of our family in that I way that. That, that the mother often traditionally is. That's Christian. We all adore him. He looks after us all. He's a lunatic. We love laughing at him. I love this. And, uh, and so... It works for us. And isn't that wonderful? I think doing something that you love and then being able to commercialize it, that's the dream. And I think I heard you say that, you know, connections is what kind of drives you. You like kind of getting out there. You bounce off ideas. And I'm a really similar person. And that's something I struggled with this year. Mm. But I, as much as I struggled, what I've realized is my friends are everything to me. Yes. And so when I had like some moments where I couldn't see them, it actually broke my heart. And so I'm really enjoying getting out there and being inspired by not women I'm reading about, by my next door neighbor, by oh. Chloe Lawback who lives kind of down the road. And so on this kind of note of inspiring women, I'd love to understand like who in your life from a female perspective has inspired you, whether kids now or in the future. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I surround myself with really inspiring girlfriends. Mm-hmm. Same thing. It is the people in my life, mm-hmm. in my, my group of friends, there's a fashion designer, you know, a, one of my good friends runs hotels, you know, just really... <laughs> interesting smart women that are going after what they want so that's incredibly inspiring yeah. um i've been lucky to meet some great people Leanne moriarty who's obviously wow. a, a fantastic author what was she like in person she's actually a lot more reserved than right. you might think you know i kind of pictured this really gregarious from her books mm. which is so fantastic and chatty and you know she feels like your best girlfriend and she's yeah. lovely and so um so sweet and being very generous to me in my career and by quoting Amazing. my books and things. But she so she's had a few little forwards or yeah. things published from her on your I books, have. haven't you? Yeah. yeah, I have, which is, I mean, because she is really my idol of where Got I want to go. So that was incredible. Um, but she's more reserved than you might think. Um, Mia Friedman now is a friend of mine and she has just been so supportive and, mm-hmm. and so inspiring um, I love what Mia's actually doing with her whole lady startups yeah. spin-off of Mamma Mia. She, um, yeah, is really supporting women in business and I just think it was needed and it's just wonderful. It's so mm. great and it, it's amazing what a difference just Mia wearing a piece of clothing from someone that mm-hmm. they have sent her or, um, you know, promoting a product. They just sell out and it's amazing oh. to see... That, and I see that not just Mia, she obviously has a huge following, oh, totally. but you see the way that women can lift each other up and support each other. Yeah. And it actually costs most women nothing oh. to be able to do that and to just share. And how amazing does it make you feel? And speaking from someone who has started a new business and it, like the support you gave us, Sally, was incredible. And it, like, it actually it fills my bucket. And that's a little bit of a saying I say a lot at the moment that my daughter Poppy taught me yeah. from school. She's five. When your bucket gets full with kindness, it is the nicest feeling. Like you yeah, go to bed just feeling so happy. And when you see a few sales that say, Sally makes me smile, you're like, oh, she's a good girl. <laughs> um, and so look, to finish up, Sally, because I know you've got to rush off to another interview. What makes you happy? What fills your bucket? Oh, this sounds funny because we have just spent the whole year doing this, but <laughs> being at home with my family, I think that no one else would say that, but I, I love this. I'm a natural introvert and mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. The homeschooling this year was, can I say fuck? Because yeah, you can say fuck. Fuck. This is a podcast. So we have Good. no media rules. <laughs> Perfect. It was fucked. Um, and there were things that were really difficult about this yeah. year and, and knowing that it was hurting businesses and things like that, but 
I love being at home with my people, you know, mm-hmm. and just especially during winter, we had such a lovely time and still, of course, my girlfriends and, and having the full life that I have makes me happy. But just at the end of the day, being at home with my people and just watching them swim in the pool or watching the crown, the Christian, that feels my bucket. Oh, look, I love that, Sally. And on that note, thank you, everybody, for tuning in to myself and the lovely Sally Hepworth on Happy Vibes. See you later, guys.